Morning, Central Church. How's everyone? Fantastic. If you're watching us online this morning on our website or Facebook Live page, thanks for joining us. If you're in overflow this morning or out in the concourse, we're just so glad you're worshiping with us today. And all of you in the worship center, God bless you this morning. If you have a Bible this morning, please open it up. I hope you do. Take, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you find the New Testament, you found Matthew because Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 here in just a minute. We're continuing a series called Extraordinary. It's a study in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's called Extraordinary because Jesus invites us to an extraordinary life of character. In fact, he calls us to live a life of character that emulates his character. And so we're going to jump into that in just a second. We're also in a, in a six-week adult life group series called The Heart of the Matter, and every weekend uh, our life groups, our adult life groups are studying what we study in church. So we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. So if you've not yet picked up one of, one of these books, you can do that uh, out in the foyer. Uh, if you're not yet in a life group, please get in a life group. Uh, share uh, with, with other folks that are journeying, the same journey that you are, learning about the Sermon on the Mount, talking about it together. It's a great thing to do. Let's pray together. God, thank you this morning for the power of your word. Thank you for all that have gathered here, those that are online watching us. Uh, Lord, I pray that the, the words that I share uh, will come from your heart, and I pray that, that you would minister to everyone that's watching this morning, everyone that's listening this morning, God, that, that we, we would all have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Then, that, then that, Lord, we have hearts of courage to apply it and to walk it out. Uh, Lord, that, that we might rise to that level of, of extraordinary character by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen, amen. amen. All right, so you know what we do really well? We, we justify our sin. And, and we do that by comparing our sin with other people's sins. And that, that, uh, that, that coin of comparison has two sides. Uh, the, the first side of this coin of comparison and justifying our sin by comparing it to other people is one side of the coin is, I'm really not that bad. And then the other side of the coin is, I'm actually pretty good. <laughs> and so when Charlene and I were first married, the first few years of our marriage, when, when I would get angry with her or with whatever was going on, I would, I would raise my voice in anger. I would yell at her. Um, but I justify it by saying, well, I'm not, I'm not grabbing her. I'm not punching her, I'm not slapping her, I'm not pushing her. So I'm really, I'm really not that bad, right? And then the other side of the coin is, compared to guys that physically abuse their wives, I'm doing pretty good. You, you may say something like this, I, I overdo it with alcohol sometimes. In fact, sometimes I, I don't know when to stop. But I would never get in a car and drive even if I was a little bit buzzed. I'm actually not that bad. And then the other side of the coin is compared to people that, that drive drunk and hurt people or kill people, I'm actually pretty good. Or you may say something like this, yeah, I, I, I cuss once in a while, it, it slips out, you know, a, a word, but I, but I never use the F word. I'm not that bad. And compared to people that drop F-bombs all the time, I'm actually what? I'm actually pretty good compared to them. And, and the Jewish religious leaders were doing a similar thing. They were comparing their sin with other people's sin and feeling pretty good about themselves. 
Because what they were doing was they were, they were following the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. And they felt pretty righteous. They felt pretty good about the fact that they weren't murdering people, but they weren't dealing with this issue called anger. The title of my message this morning is Jesus, the Law, and Anger. So if you have Matthew chapter 5, we're going to begin reading in verse 21. Jesus says, you've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple in Jerusalem, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge, who will hand you over to an officer, and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. The teachers of religious law were absolutely correct when they said murder is sin, and Jesus had no problem with that. The teachers of religious law were absolutely correct when they said murder brings severe consequences. They were right. Jesus had no problem with that. The teachers of religious law were absolutely incorrect when they said the spirit of the law is avoiding murder. That was never the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is love. So therefore, anything short of love is sin. Jesus says anger keeps us from love. Therefore, anger is what? Sin. Anger is sin. So verse 21. You've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. And if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even, what? Angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Notice Jesus puts murder and anger at the same level in terms of sin. Not in terms of consequences. There's clearly greater consequences for murder than, than anger that doesn't result in murder. But he's saying they both result in judgment. They're both sin. Now, the anger that Jesus is talking about in this verse isn't the anger we experience when we hit our thumb with a hammer. It's, it's not the anger that we experience uh, when your puppy chews your favorite shoes or when uh, you accidentally spill fruit punch on your white carpet. That, that's not the anger that Jesus is talking about. He specifically says when you're angry with someone. Th this is anger toward a person. And the, the, the root of anger, I'm sorry, anger is not just the root of murder, but anger is the root of all abusive behavior. And so verse 22, if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So my verbal abuse of my wife, sin. Jesus calls it sin. It's not, well, I didn't kill her, so I'm not that bad. 
right? I didn't commit murder, so I'm, I'm pretty good, right? It's not that. Jesus is saying anger is the root of all abusive behavior in life. The spirit of the law is love. Anger keeps us from love. Anger is sin. Who are you angry with today? Now, when Jesus talks about being angry with someone and, and, and all of the penalty of that and everything, what Jesus is talking about, in my opinion, in this context, is not momentary anger. Th- this is not when someone does something, it just really irritates you in the moment, and then you forget about it. That's not what Jesus is talking about, I believe. I believe Jesus is talking about ongoing anger in your heart towards someone that's unresolved, that you let sit there, and it... And it devastates the relationship. It, it divides the relationship. It makes it unhealthy. And it, it prohibits you from ha- experiencing or having love toward that person. That's the anger towards someone that Jesus is talking about. We, we, we get frustrated or whatever all the time and it's just in the moment. No, this is an ongoing relationship where you have anger in your heart. Someone has anger toward you and it's unresolved, it's unhealthy, and it keeps you from walking in love. That's what Jesus is talking about. So the question is, how do we remove anger from our relationships? I think that's what Jesus is getting at in this text. How do we remove anger from our relationships? And he gives us two parables that we're going to look at here. Uh, Two parables. And and what he's going to say in these parables is, it doesn't matter who's at fault. Keep that in mind. It doesn't matter if it was your fault or the other person's fault. The principles we're going to talk about still apply. So how do we do that? The first thing is proactively pursue peace. I think Jesus is saying proactively pursue peace. Verses 23 and 24. If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple in Jerusalem and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice, your animal sacrifice that you had brought to the temple, to to sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person or bring peace again to that relationship. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Jesus is saying it doesn't matter if it's your fault. It doesn't matter if it's their fault. You go. You don't wait for them to come to you. You leave your sacrifice at the altar and you go and you find them. The responsibility is on us. If there's, if there's anger in a relationship, theirs or ours, the relationship is unhealthy, it's, it's, it's not getting fixed, Jesus says, you leave your sacrifice at the altar and you go to them. Now, the, here's the problem. Anytime we, we try to bring peace in a relationship, anytime there's anger, we dread doing it. It's inconvenient. It's a hassle. We hate it. We don't like doing it. That's exactly the point Jesus is saying in this text. Because Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount in Galilee, along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Now, now when Shirlene, my wife and I, when we visited Israel, I had three favorite places. One of them was the Mount of Beatitudes on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. I I walked along those hills, and and they they told us somewhere in this area, Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And I just went, whoa, are you kidding me? I'm walking on the, the ground where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount that I'm, I'm so familiar with. That, that was a, an awesome moment for me. Another awesome moment 
was the, the upper room in Jerusalem. Now, the, the room that they take you to wasn't the original room, but you're, you're close. You're in the area where the Holy Spirit fell on the church for the very first time. I'm thinking, whoa, I'm, I'm right where the Holy Spirit fell and started the church. I was crazy. And the third one was the empty tomb. Come on, somebody. Walk in and out of that tomb and go, what? This is where he rose. But, but one of those was the, the Mount of Beatitudes. And Jesus is preaching to Galilean Jews. Galilee is 80 miles from Jerusalem. Seven-day journey by foot. Jesus says, you leave, you, you're offering your sacrifice, you came to the temple, and there it's like, oh no, I've got a problem with someone in relationship. Back in Galilee, that's 80 miles one way. That's a seven-day journey. Jesus is like, yeah, this is inconvenient. This is dreadful. You don't like going and fixing relationships. So walk seven days home and seven days back and then offer your sacrifice at the altar. But Lord, seven days in the desert walking? Yeah, that's probably what it feels like sometimes when you're trying to fix a relationship. And Jesus says, you do it. You, you, you don't wait for them to come to you. The second thing he says is we need to prioritize peace. Not only proactively pursue peace, and, and when it's inconvenient and we don't want to do it, we still need to do it. Second thing he says is make it a priority. So here's what he says. Same, same story, same parable that he's telling. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now, now think about what that person's doing. They're, they're offering their sacrifice. That, that's a, that's a, a form of worship. They're, they're going to the temple to worship the Lord, to have their sins forgiven, to have their relationship with God made right. They, they just want their relationship with God to be made right. So they go and they're presenting their offering. And Jesus says the implication is, Fixing that relationship is more important than offering a sacrifice. Do you know what it seems like he's saying? And I think he is. You can pray all you want. I'm not listening. <laughs> Lift your hands, sing songs. Doesn't mean anything. Until that gets fixed, this is a priority. God values people. And he wants us to value people. God values relationships, and he wants us to value relationships. Jesus left heaven to come to the earth to fix relationships. Jesus left the convenience of heaven. He prioritized his mission. He came to fix relationships with people, and he sends us on the same mission. It's a priority. It's a priority for the people of God. If you want to live an extraordinary life, it means going and fixing the relationships that aren't well in your life. Here's the good news. The good news is your responsibility is to just go. Your responsibility is to offer peace. Your responsibility is simply to say either I forgive you or I need you to forgive me. I would love for us to establish peace again and love again in this relationship. That's all you have to do. It doesn't matter how they respond. They may not want to restore the relationship. They may not want to be reconciled. That doesn't matter. 
That's why Paul in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, could say this, insofar as it depends on you, if possible, be at peace with all men. That means sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes they're not going to want to. And sometimes you may not want to be their best friend, but you do need to, to get that anger out of your heart, and you do need to have forgiveness flow between you so that, so that something of love toward that person can be formed, because anything short of love is sin. And as long as you're harboring that anger in your heart, you're sinning toward that person. Jesus says, make it a priority. Make it a people are a priority. Relationships are a priority. Jesus demonstrated that for us when he stepped out of heaven into earth and was willing to be abused, abused and inconvenienced for the sake of peace. He was willing to die for the sake of peace. Now, God's not asking you to die for the sake of peace. It just might be inconvenient and it might cost you something. But we need to, to proactively pursue peace and we need to prioritize peace. And the third thing is, we need to promptly pursue peace. Promptly. So he's going to shift parables now. The first parable was if, you, if you're offering your, your sacrifice at the temple and you, you realize there that there's a relationship problem that you go and try to fix it, now he shifts uh, stories and pictures. And here's what he says. When you're on your way to court with your adversary, now it's assumed that's um, debtor's court, uh, meaning someone was, was suing you. You either stole something from them or you defaulted on a loan. You owed them something that you weren't able to pay them back, and so they're taking you to court. Jesus says, settle your differences how? Quickly. This is wisdom, folks. Settle that relationship problem quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge. Let me just take a minute here. Jesus is not giving legal advice here. This is not how to handle the court system, although there, there may be some wisdom in that. But he, he, this isn't legal advice. This is relationship advice. He's using a story to, to teach a principle. The principle is settle this, fix it quickly. Don't let it go on and on. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer. Then you're going to be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you're not going to be free until you paid every penny that you owe. Jesus is saying, handle this quickly because there's going to be consequence if you don't. Greater consequence if you don't. So pay them back. Pay them back what you owe. Make restitution. Did you take something from them? Give it back. Did you owe them something? Pay it and do it quickly. A couple thoughts here related to that. Why, why do we need to do it quickly? First of all, harboring anger opens the door for Satan's activity in your life. I didn't make that up. Paul said this, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. There again is the prompt scripture. Do it quick. Don't, don't even let the next day start before you settle this thing. You deal with this anger. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to who? The devil, Satan. It gives him an open door. You actually open the door for the influence of the evil one in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your relationships, in your work. You open the door as long as you choose to harbor evil toward people where Satan can continue to wreak havoc in your life. Or you can shut the door by removing that anger, by establishing peace in your heart through fixing the relationship. The first reason we need to do it quickly is, is 
Harboring anger opens the door for Satan's activity. The second reason is harboring anger brings a consequence. That's what Jesus is warning about. The longer this goes on, the worse the consequences are going to be. If that's in a marriage, the worst consequences is you let this thing fester and go on and on and compound and compound and grow. Divorce is a much worse consequence than fixing it. Amen? If you let that thing go on and on with your boss at work or that person at work and you end up losing your job because of that, that's a far worse consequence than dealing with this thing quickly and appropriately and just settling it. If, you, if you're battling one of your children and, and attitudes or whatever, maybe they're grown children, you, the consequence of losing them, the consequence of them not wanting anything to do with you, the consequence of losing that relationship is a far greater consequence than you working hard to settle this thing quickly in your life. There are consequences that come with, with putting this off. Verse 26. If that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. And if you're going to debtor's court, that means that you don't, you don't have the means to pay. That means you're going to be in there a long time trying to pay this thing off. Like, like the consequence is much worse the longer you let this relationship go in an unhealthy manner. The more hurt takes place, the deeper the wounds. And has anybody noticed this? The more people are affected, the longer this goes on. Have you noticed that people build armies? Like when you're in contention with somebody, you, you build your own army against them. Like, like you recruit people to support you against them. And they recruit people to support them against you. And all of a sudden, tons of people are involved in this thing. And the fallout, the consequence is much greater than it would have been if you and that person would have settled this thing quickly out of court. All right. The the wonder of the extraordinary spirit-filled life is that we don't have to let anger destroy our lives, our marriages, and our families. Amen? That's the wonder of the Sermon on the Mount, is that as Jesus teaches us these things, he says, you don't have to be destroyed by anger. The power of the Holy Spirit can release you. And as you take these steps of reconciliation in your life, you can begin to find freedom from that and actually walk in love. And Jesus says, then you can live at a different level than the world lives. The world lives at the level of contention. The world lives in the level of bondage. The world lives in the, in the level of violence and physical abuse and verbal abuse. We can live above that. Come on, somebody. And Jesus calls us to that. It, it's simply called the extraordinary life. The extraordinary life that God calls us to. On our own, we could easily become destructive in the flesh. But the Lord offers us a pathway to peace. Isn't that good news? I'm guessing, I could be wrong, I'm guessing this message this morning hit every one of us some way because it hits me. Every one of you is probably thinking of a relationship that you you just got to do something about. Um, The question is, do you want to live the extraordinary life? Do you want to emulate Jesus who came from heaven to earth to show us what that life was like? Because it's, according to the Beatitudes, it's the blessed life. It's the better life. It's the life we all desire. The life we all desire is this this life of peace and love and not anger in our hearts. And Jesus gives us an out. It's It's the greater righteousness that he talks about in verse 20. Unless your righteousness is greater than the scribes and the Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. What's the greater righteousness? Love. 
The greater righteousness is not killing someone. The greater righteousness is love. That's the spirit of the law. Anger toward people prevents us from loving them. Anger is sin. So the question is, do you have anger in your heart today toward someone? And what are you going to do with that? Don't just deal with destructive behavior. Don't don't just deal with the fruit. Deal with the root. The root is anger, and Christ wants to set you free and work in your life. So are you willing to deal with your anger today by being proactive? By not waiting for them to come to you, but, but you actually going to them? Are you willing to make removing anger your highest priority? To prioritize your anger, not fooling yourself into believing that that my relationship with God is good and I have all these broken relationships. God says your relationship with him is not good if you have broken relationships. Fix the relationships, then come back and offer your sacrifice to me, says the Lord. Are you willing to deal with anger right now, promptly, quickly, settle your accounts now, instead instead of letting this thing go on and on? So to whom do you need to go and offer peace? Would you stand with me this morning? I try to be really honest with you all the time. So I'm going to be honest again this morning. When, when I hear words like the extraordinary life, <laughs> I'm all about it, right? Like, that's what I want, this higher level living, this extraordinary life, but <laughs> I don't want to do that stuff, right? Like, isn't there an easier way? No, 80 miles through the desert one way, 80 miles back. Can't I have the extraordinary life without it? No. Lord, this morning we are so weak in our flesh and we so desperately need the life and the strength of the Holy Spirit. Lord, to help us proactively in a a prioritized way bring peace. Lord, we want to obey the spirit of the law. We want to love people not be angry with them, not hate them. So Lord, would you by your spirit give us the courage and the strength to walk through the desert to make it right? Would you help us this morning, Lord, to do it quickly? Lord, we want our prayer time, we want our worship time, we we want our relationship with you to be so intimate and so healthy. So help us to deal with the peripheral relationships in our life that need help so that our time with you is full of glory. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Hey, before you leave today, two things. If you need prayer for anything this morning, there's going to be some folks up here to pray. Maybe this message stirred something up. Come on up, or if you need prayer for anything. Second thing is this is our weekend to receive a benevolent offering. That offering goes to helping people in and outside of our church that need some help. Um, And so there's going to be ushers at the door. Anything you can contribute to that. Um, would be greatly appreciated. Man, walk in the extraordinary life this week. God bless you.